0: Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community and the people that bring community to life. My guest today is Laura Byrne, the singer-songwriter behind The Minor Birds. Not only will we be in conversation, but Laura will also perform a few of her songs for us live in the studio. American singer-songwriter Laura Byrne is a shapeshifter who can't sit still. Since 2010, Laura has worked under the moniker The Minor Birds, releasing four critically acclaimed and stylistically different albums on Saddle Creek, What We Lose in the Fire We Gain in the Flood, Generals, Lovers Know, and Be Here Now. She has also toured as a member of the Postal Service and Bright Eyes, helped found Omaha Girls Rock. A non profit helping young girls find their voices, and in 2013 gave a TEDx talk based on her New Revolutionists portrait project, exploring what it means to be a revolutionary woman in this day and age. Before the Minor Birds, Laura was a member of DC indie band Georgie James with Q and Not U's John Davis, and also put out two self produced solo albums on the label she founded herself, Laboratory Records. The Mind of Birds new album, Be Here Now, Laura describes as a work of emotional journalism. Laura, thank you for being in the studio today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, I I have some questions, most of which I probably won't get to. (laughs) But I have my first question. But just before we went on air, you said that you had a flow in mind for our conversation. And now I can't resist putting this bit of paper down and saying, What kind of flow did you have in mind?
2: Oh,
1: okay. So I tend to write a lot of um, socially conscious, uh, politically aware music. It kind of comes from my background in the D.C. punk scene, uh, growing up in Washington, D.C. with Discord Records in the background. And it seems especially pertinent to speak about it right now uh, because the last record I wrote, Be Here Now, I wrote right after the inauguration of Trump. Um, and it, it it feels like a schizophrenic record. I literally was writing it real time, reacting to not only the news, but people's uh, social media feeds. I was more interested to know what was going on in people's hearts and minds. And quite frankly, it feels anxious and uncertain um, because that's how everything feels right now. Um and, you know, I, my 2012 record, Generals, was very much about like it, women's empowerment, we can do it. I did this portrait project called The New Revolutionist, which was about powerful women in America. And uh, my very first record, however, was called What We Lose in the Fire, We Gain in the Flood. And it's a very zen look at loss and recovery, at upheaval and healing. And as I was driving from Los Angeles to L.A. over the past two days, I thought, man, I have kind of checked out of social media. I really have not been paying attention to the news that much. I feel like if it's an emergency, I'll pay attention to it. But I've been doing the thing that I think a lot of people have been doing, which is taking a step back and just sort of like catching my breath and paying attention to what I can um, what I can affect right around me, uh, in my friends' lives, in my community, in my own home, um, how I can find peace. And then I decided to listen to, like, four hours of Pema Chodron, (laughs) who is a Buddhist nun. Um, And she was speaking very specifically about dealing with difficult emotions. And I'd heard her talk about that before, but she was specifically talking about what do we do now, or what can we do now, in order to create a more peaceful um, world when so much seems so divided and um, so angry. And, you know, what, what's really going on and what can we actually do to possibly
0: change it in a positive way? So my initial question was potentially to work backwards and use Be Here Now as an entry into who you are as a person and as a singer-songwriter. Sure. It feels as if there was a lot of you trying to get out and make sense of the world and help others make sense of the world. So maybe talk about that album a little more and the themes that you're trying to uh, pick apart.
1: It's funny, that was one of the songs that I definitely wanted to play today. It was Golden Age. Um, and this always happens. You write a record and as time passes, you sort of realize like what was the central theme. And that definitely was. And I feel like um, you know you hear a little bit of my zen in there and you hear a little bit of um, what I feel like happened to so many people over the past Two years specifically is that a lot of people who said, "Oh, I'm I'm a peacemaker, I'm a peacekeeper." A lot of people realize they're peace fighters, right? So there are certain things that you want to be zen about, that you want to be um, nonviolent about. You know, like sitting here in the Malcolm X Center and 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 thinking about um, his approach to civil rights versus Martin Luther King's nonviolent approach, and how that conversation eventually worked it out between the two men over time, and uh, on the American political. St- and social stage is fascinating to me. And I found myself even over the past two years, and I think a lot of people did, saying like, why would I not stand up? Why would I not punch a Nazi? Why would I not? You know, we saw what Hitler did when nobody stood up. And why would I not do that? And if I see someone harassing, shaming, putting my trans, black, other minority, Muslim friends of, you know, Why would I just stand by and do nothing? So the question is, what is the doing that we can do that actually does the most good? And I I think that we're in that state right now where it's hard to know, right? Because sometimes we need to put our foot down and say, absolutely no more. But the urge is to want to put your foot down on someone's throat <laughs> because you want them to stop saying what they're saying and also just like just stop you know um but the question really as pema children and like any of the zen teachers would say is is that really going to stop the fighting is it really going to stop the anger the hate does it really stop the cycle
0: did you want to um sing golden age yeah i would love to great thank you we'd love that
1: okay
2: Can you show me a good trick? Show me some magic? Can you pull the whole world from my ear? I hate how the best things Keep disappearing Like Leonard and Bowie And the ice caps here And we're left with this Ignorant bliss When we find a good thing We can't hold on to it The golden age It sure was great The sun was so pretty We couldn't look away Now I can't see my brother My sister or mother through the rose-colored glasses Of my own newsfeed And the sermon I'm given In this new algorithm It's falling on deaf ears Cause the choir already believes Tell me where are our heroes Are they stuck at the wall Cause we got some real villains to stop before they kill us all The golden age, it's ours to save I hear the bells ringing, are you aware? you show me your best trick your slick brand of magic your pen's not a wand to make us disappear i see what you're doing with the jews and the muslims you're sawing us all in half with your fake fear my heart's full of love and all kinds of peace But I think even I could punch a Nazi in the face The golden age It goes away when we just stand here with our hands up begging don't shoot, please I'm sure Mars is nice And I do love the moon But this is my home And I'm not leaving Any time soon So call if you need me And I promise I'm there With a thermos of coffee And cups to share I'll be out on my island Until the dawn breaks Hanging out with the night watch My lamp raised
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you, that was lovely. Thank you. So it it leads me then to think about some elements of your work, public and performative and also personal, that perhaps I don't quite understand. And I, I want to explore that a little bit. So you, in that song, Golden Age, reference the imperative to punch a Nazi in the face because that seems to be a morally right thing to do. But then again, perhaps that might not be what uh, Pima Chodron would say, for example. Or I, I know that um, you read and absorb and enjoy Ram Das, for example. So, so there's this history of um, nonviolence, and this more sort of therapeutic approach to the world. So there's this tension between this sort of punk sensibility and being a peace fighter, while also working out how that sits in with this idea of community and coming together in harmony in some way. Right. While at the same time, too, you're thinking about what is the impact that you can have, and it seems to be that music is one way that you can impact the world at large. So there are all these things, I think, all these dynamic things happening together. And there's no real question there. I'm just trying to make sense of how you balance all these things.
1: <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't have any good answer, except I. it was really, it, it feels good to hear someone talk about meditation and practice because uh, it, it reminds us that we're all human and flawed and we have our inherited tendencies, what we've been taught our whole lives, what trauma triggers us to do, um, and then that we can just continue to practice and get better as human beings. So peace fighter, right, I've used that term and I've thought recently about, you know, you think about how it might feel good to punch one Nazi in the face and stop one Nazi, but how do you actually win the, that war? I don't even like to call it a war because I just think I've realized a couple things recently. I believe that humans are fundamentally good. I don't believe that there's good and evil. I think that we're just more like holistic, very complicated. There's some light and shadow and you get some gray in the middle. And so it's really like a balance and how can we bring things into balance? We have all these problems, right? So first of all, Golden Age is, a, is like kind of a love letter. It's like a brutal love letter to the state of America. And, it's, and it's, there's a lot of sadness in it. Um, but I also feel this hope of like Walt Whitman in the end. You know, the idea I mean it's really at the end supposed to be sung from it's the late it's Lady Liberty. It's the Statue of Liberty singing and this I this sort of like collective consciousness of the highest thing that we aspire to as a nation, like our best selves, and saying, you know what, we're gonna stand here and, and hold up the light because we still believe. Um, so I don't think I answered your question in the same way that... It I was
0: no question. It's more a, a statement of making sense of this world and, and how you balance those tensions in...
1: I, I don't know that I... I, try, I think I try in my music to show some perspective and to show my struggle within it because I think that the more we can acknowledge that everybody struggles, the more we could probably sit down and have some conversations about what the struggles are. That's my hope.
0: Well, I love at the end of that particular song, Golden Age, that you do end on that note of optimism. The final verse is, is about holding a handout or a thermos of coffee, uh, as is the case here, and the lights on. And it's an invitation to people to come and embrace you in the sense of community and well, shared neighborliness.
1: Absolutely. It is about community. And it's also about what can we do that actually helps. And so for when it comes to I mean, I was raised in a fundamentalist Christian background, so I've got—those teachings are sort of in the back of my brain, regardless of what spiritual journey I've been on since then. But this idea of, like, breaking bread, providing the story of the loaves and the fishes, you know, or turning water into wine. Like, what are miraculous things that we can do that nourish people when when we come together in community? And sometimes it's the simplest things, you know? I I was really I don't even know why I'm bringing this up, but I was really struck recently. People have been talking about Mister Rogers a lot um, because there was a documentary that came out about him, and that episode where he brought uh, the policeman in and he washed his feet, and just like what a what a revolutionary act it was in such a simple, understated way, you know.
0: And to be clear, if I'm remembering this correctly, was the policeman African American? Yes.
1: Now I think it's a it has an added depth to it about um, this officer. This man of the law, you know, we've seen a lot of police brutality, um, particularly against unarmed black people. And it's it's horrific. But to be reminded through watching this, you know, vintage clip that that's not always the case and that there is good. There, there's good.
0: So we started with Be Here Now, which is the latest album and your road trip to, to get to here from L.A., which was yesterday, uh, overnight actually to this morning. So why don't we go from here and jump all the way back and let me ask you to describe your childhood.
1: Oh, wow. Okay, that's deep. Um, I grew up in Western Maryland, um, son of son. Whoa, where did that come from? (laughs) Past lives coming out here. You really have opened up (laughs) the universe. (laughs) Daughter? It's really funny. I always joke because I always said I was the son of the, a preacher man because my I loved Tori Amos growing up, and she was the daughter of a, a Methodist minister. And my mother was raised by foster parents because her mother committed suicide when she was a baby, and uh, her foster father was a Methodist minister. So I always – I think that's where that comes from. Um, but raised by – my mom was a nurse. My dad was a merchant marine. We had a little farm. I had horses. um I was really encouraged from a young age to sing and to be creative and be kind of wild and question authority. And, um, yeah, just like grew up in a small, small town, eventually went to high school in Boonesboro, Maryland, which is a tiny town. Um, I think part of why I love Nebraska and Omaha so much is that it reminds me of someplace between living in Washington DC in my later years and then the rural area. So it's got some of both of that. And, um, I really, I've, I'm, grateful for organizations like Girls Rock and, you know, what Brigitte is doing over at the Union and things that are happening that sort of let kids with a lot of creativity know that they are not misfits or outcasts, that they're actually visionaries. And, you know, so I love, I love that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what, uh, let's see, I, in high school, I was pretty, you know, I had a, I had an old Subaru station wagon with a bunch of stickers on the back of it, L7 and, fight racism sticker, which someone who was in the junior KKK in my high school ripped off and cut it in half. So it just said racism and stuck it on the back of his pickup truck next to his Confederate flag. Um, So, you know, I feel like (laughs) I've always been trying to make a difference in my community. Yeah, I don't know. What else else do you want to know?
0: What were those epiphanies or moments or the slow burn of growing up where you did end up having stickers like fight racism in in the back of your or on the back of your car because i think these are the moments that shape you right. and have led directly to this peace fighter that that you're talking about
1: Well, you know, like I said, I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian household. Uh, We went to church four times a week, Um, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night was choir practice. And, you know, my first, my earliest moments on the stage were a starring role in a a musical called We Like Sheep in which I played Eunice the baby lamb. (laughs) I remember the very first time I was ever on stage, I sat on Jesus's lap um, in this like beautiful green robe they had made me for this Easter play. And so I always felt very close to Jesus. You know, I felt like oh, I got to sit on the man's lap and we're close. And um, the lesson that I took away from church was always God is love. God is love, God is love, God is love. And as I got older, I started noticing um, people saying very hateful and mean things. And it didn't make any sense to me. You'd hear people make a joke about something, uh, someone with a mental disability. Um, make a racist joke, make a joke about gay people. And I thought, whoa, whoa. I remember Jesus was hanging out with everybody uh, who was the misfits and the outcasts. And so, and and you say God is love, what's all this judgment coming from? Um, didn't make any sense to me. So I actually, there was a, a church service when I was 13, um, and the pastor came up and said, I just want to be very clear, last week, you um, there was a gay couple who was here, and they said they're welcome. They were so excited, they felt welcomed by us. And I want to be very clear they're not welcomed, and they're going to hell. And I quit going then. And I'll say at that point, my parents had gotten divorced when I was 10. My mom was working full time as a nurse, going to school full time. Um, so she, somebody else had taken me. Well, she felt really kind of abandoned by that community. And this is no, this is just my experience. This is no statement. I'm not trying to make a blanket statement about it. There are good people everywhere. There are people who are unkind everywhere. So um, I quit going to church, and uh, I found out when I was 25 that my dad is gay. Um, he had been closeted his whole life and even when my parents were divorcing, my mom suspected and he denied it. Um, and I had spent, you know, my teenage li- my teenage years fighting for my friends who were gay and helping them feel comfortable to be, to be open about it. Um, and so it's an interesting, it's one of those things where I think intuitively we know more than we think we know all the time. I have a few regrets in life, and one of them is that I never spoke to the pastor about it. And I remember talking to my mom about it and saying, because I really loved Pastor Steve. I thought he was a good man, but I just thought he was wrong about that. I just wanted him to recognize the hypocrisy in his teaching as a child. And I didn't because I think I didn't want him to try to convince me that he was right and I was wrong. There was just something in my heart I thought I don't I don't want to hear the argument against loving people unconditionally. That's not our job, in my opinion. Um, And so, you know, that was hugely influential to me. Um, And the friends I made in high school were misfits and outcasts, people called us freaks. I was constantly called a lesbian walking down the hallway and I wore it with pride. I held my friends, you know, my girlfriend's hands and we would kiss and who cares? Like to me, it was not a big thing.
0: When did you know and how did you know that music, musicality, writing songs performing was a part of who you are
1: forever um I my mom always says that I sang before I spoke um she used to make these little ooh pitches and I would match them and so um we had a piano and I I started taking piano lessons when I was five and from the time I was five I said I wanted to be a singer I want to be a singer I want to be a singer and I remember laying in bed and imagining what my show would look like and in my child's mind it looked like one part cindy Lauper, like with that kind of an amazing outfit but on our church stage which was like 1970s brown carpet which is hilarious that that was i was like it's gonna be huge with this all this tool and the skirt and like you know the eyeliner and the hairspray um yeah i always it's funny that you ask that because i feel like recently in my career you know you as much as you don't want to measure or compare, you do. And so I think, wow, how many records have I sold? How many listens do I have? How many blah, blah, blah. So I've really had to come face-to-face with why is it that I do what I do? And what is, what am I really here for? What's my purpose? And I, I feel um, very certain that I'm not a performer. Um, I'm a It's something different that I do. It's something between like, Being an observer and being a teacher and being a healer and being a poet and uh, being a friend, you know. Um, And it's somewhere in the middle of that. That's what I'm trying to do with
0: music. Is now a good time to play something else, do you think? Sure. Okay.
1: Well, um, speaking of going all the way back to the beginning of my life, maybe I'll play a song from my first record, which is um, a very zen look at the world. It's called Ways of Looking. And it's based on a, um, a poem by Wallace Stevens called 13 Ways of Looking at a Blackbird. Sort of based on it. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Give me all your love and then I'll give you all of mine We can wash out all the red flags, hang them on the line If we paint into the corner, we'll wait for it to dry We can take our time Well, I know I lost my head in an avalanche The world turned over when I least expected Buried me under my great plans Why can't it ever be easy? And then all the sparrows and the cornlets they played their own version of taps. But before you guessed what it meant, you counted one, two, ten. There were so many ways of looking. Catch your breath, it can be easy. If we just let it real well, I know I lose my sense at the sight of you The effortless way you take the worst news You said you can move mountains with your point of view It doesn't have to be so hard And then all the sparrows and the cornets They started in with their same old set But before we guessed what it meant We counted one, two, ten. There were so many ways of looking. Catch your breath, it can be easy if we just let it. Give me all your love And then I'll give you all of mine We can wash out all the red flags Hang them on the line If we paint into the corner We'll wait for it to dry Even if it takes about a whole night Cause I can't think of any way I'd rather spend my time. We
1: <laughs> Thank you. I hope you're gonna fill that out with like crowds of applause.
0: <laughs> no, I think it's actually gonna make it really clear that. mainly because I want people to be really jealous, actually, because it's a real privilege, yeah, you know? thanks. Um, We talk in order to make sense of the world, both our interior landscape and also the exterior landscape that we encounter. We know ourselves in relationship with other people. It's how we make sense of being human. And it seems to me in some way that you spent a musical career continually exploring what it is to be Laura and also what it means to be people in the world. But there seems to be this perpetual questioning and this perpetual outrage inequality combined with this consistent holding on to the fact that humans are fundamentally good. And so I wonder if you think back at all the records that you've you've created, is this a consistent thread that runs through them all or do you see them as very of the moment that you created them
1: um both i mean i, I think that i tend to write in the moment um a response or a reaction to what's happening in the world um what we lost in the fire we gained in the flood um the first record was my own personal uh journey my band had broken up i was married and had gotten divorced. it was like I moved from DC to Omaha. I' had gone through, you know, it felt like a total upheaval of my life. And so for me, it was trying to get centered with what uh, what is the thing that stays as the world changes and falls apart around you. And of course, I had to laugh this morning I was thinking about it because I thought, man, I really want to get close again to like what is the thing that stays? what is the eternal thing? But if the truth is that change is the only constant, then the thing that we can get close to that helps is flexibility. <laughs> and that's really the only thing that we can practice is kind of being flexible is, is constantly saying, okay, what's happening now? All right, how about now? Okay, how about now? You know? Um, yeah.
0: Which makes me then think about traveling mm-hmm. because that's a state of perpetually being in the moment but always equally in between, between here and there but yet moving through an experience of life. And you are an experienced traveler. And I I know from your website, you talk about having uh, driven across the US at least twice. You've probably done that more now. um, And I know that you've traveled around the world too, both for pleasure, but also performative work and recording work. I'm wondering how travel as a practice fits into your idea that change is the only constant And also maybe what you've learned along the way as you've traveled.
1: Um, Well, I I think it's important to live in the moment. You really have to be present if you're going to travel well. And you have to be flexible. Uh, For example, when I was driving from LA, I didn't know where I was going to spend the night. I knew I needed to spend one night. And it was starting to get dark. And I was driving through that beautiful part of I-80 through Utah with all the gorgeous cliffs and rock formations and the sun was setting and there was this like cotton candy pink cloud and horses. I, who put the horses there? It was like, I thought I died for a minute. I was like, this is kind of heaven. So I probably died. That's probably what happened. Um, but I, you know, I looked at the map and I thought, what do I want? tomorrow to be like and I ended up going to Moab Moab is my favorite place in the whole world it's so beautiful if you haven't been I highly recommend it um it feels like the souls of like the Egyptians and the Mayans and the Native Americans got together and they were like all right um we're gonna ask the earth to make these very intense sculptures and we're gonna ask them the earth to do it over millions of years uh okay go there's something I don't know it feels really cosmic and incredible there um that was just a tangent, I think, to tell you that I love Moab. I don't know that that really had to do anything with the story, but um, you know, I I did. I also just got back from a tour of South Africa, um, and a lot of times I get I I like to throw myself into situations where I don't really know what's going to happen. And I was touring with some other good friends of mine, Kit Malone from TV on the Radio, and Dave Depper who plays in uh, Death Cab for Cutie, and. Uh, Kip is cool with things going as they go. And Dave is a little much more of a planner. And so it was really fun to kind of be the bridge between those but those guys, but also to know my promoter friends who brought us over and, and know that wherever we went, we were going to see something phenomenal and learn something. Um, and as a result, you know, it, we met some really incredible people and we got to see some really beautiful things. And some, um, you know, we got to go on safari, but then we got to see sort of some of like the... The dark, heavy parts of humanity, as well. You know, um, traveling for me is about listening to people's stories, um, and I hope that when I come back and write, I get this sense of like the universal struggle, the universal goodness, um, and and I I like to write songs that remind me of that, and hopefully that rem- they remind other people of that as well.
0: Is that why, for example, you drive instead of getting on a plane in LA and? flying to Omaha or elsewhere?
1: Sometimes, absolutely. I love to drive when I can um, because I love the people you meet in gas stations. Um, I love the conversations you have uh, with the person looking at your parks pass as you're going into the national park, you know. Um, you, You can't plan those things. And oftentimes, those moments will change the course of your day or your life. You have no idea, Um, And so I kind of like to put myself in those situations. Life is so fragile and we never know what's going to happen. And so that's the thing that sticks with me, which is every day to try to hold that, which is, you know, we're lucky to be alive. And so, you know, it probably gets back to the the ultimate nonviolent thing, which is, you know, while I want to punch somebody in the face because I think they're an idiot, I, I want to stop and say, okay, I don't really know what's going on with them. And what can I do to stop the harm um, that we inflict on each other in the world? And maybe just not punching someone and having a conversation with them is like the thing to do to find out their stories. Um, yeah, so I guess... That's kind of a circuitous way to say being kind is the thing I think that I have learned and I like to carry with me.
0: Is music your way of trying to impact the world in a way that can encourage the kind of society that you want to see created to manifest that sort of human kindness?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I I think a lot about legacy and what we leave behind, and we really have no control over it, you know, and I can write a million albums of these songs that I think could be helpful if anybody heard them, but it really doesn't matter. And ultimately, I know that I'm writing for my own healing purposes. Like, I'm writing because I need to figure it out. I'm writing. I started writing when I was 14, you know, my first real song, and it was about me dealing with... Christianity and feeling like I, I didn't understand it or like it or you know it was kind of like using our voice to have power in the world. Um, it's a tricky thing I do want to talk very briefly also about um, the idea of telling people stories. And it's a really I balance that very delicately in my music. and as much as I think sometimes I have you want to honor someone, but you don't want to speak for them. And that's a real trick um, that I I need to be reminded of again and again. And I appreciate it when I'm reminded. Um, I actually just had a conversation recently with a trans friend of mine, very dear friend. And she was, I said something, she posted some poem and I said, you know, that poem really resonated with me. I really loved it so much. And I thought about like trying to work work it into lyrics in a song. And, you know, if I did, maybe we could write it together or maybe, um, you know, like maybe I'll just give it to you. And she later came back to me and she said, I just want to let you know that that didn't feel good to me because it felt like maybe you didn't think I could tell my own story and you wanted to tell it for me. And I had not a, not considered it. And I was so grateful that she said that to me because I thought, thank you. I didn't know and I apologize and I want to make sure a voice is a very powerful thing. So how we use it is is really important.
0: I want to touch on the other ways perhaps that you manifest some of these themes that drive who you are. And we've talked a little bit about music, but there was the TEDx talk you did in 2013 and it was about a project called New Revolutionists Mm -hmm. and it was a portraiture project. I think that in many ways also speaks to these driving motivations you have to see goodness manifested in the world and to recognize that in people without co-opting their own narrative or story. So, would you talk a little bit about that project?
1: Yeah. When I released Generals in 2012, um, I was really inspired by, um, you know, I lived in DC and I was there, uh, Barack's inauguration. I was there election night and for the inauguration and it was just a wild, amazing time. Um, It felt Really incredible, and I was glad that I could be so close to that history and be a part of it. Um, But there was this really incredible portrait project, a portrait uh, exhibit at, now I'm going to forget the name of the museum. It's actually one that doesn't exist anymore, which is too bad. Oh, the Corcoran. It was the Corcoran School of Art, Mm -hmm. and I don't think it's there anymore, Mm -hmm. which is wild. Um, Anyway, I I really wanted to bring to light um, women who are powerful in their own communities, whether or not they're making headlines. And at the time, it was sort of – it's funny because, I mean, even post-Bush years, even in the Obama years, I just remember everything being so antagonistic in the press, in the headlines, in social media. Everybody's fighting with each other. I mean, this has been going on forever. We talk about it like it's brand new, but it's its gotten worse for sure. Um, but this has been going on forever. Um, so, yeah, I, I started this portrait project and um, featured some women that I knew, and I wanted them to nominate other women. Um, and the idea was that everybody was welcome because it's not about how I see someone. I'm not a judge about it. It's about how someone sees someone else. So, you know, we have people like Roseanne Cash, Liz Winstead, who um, started The Daily Show, Um, and then people here in Omaha, um, Brigitte McQueen, who runs the union, um, Fariel Pearson, who's an incredible teacher. Um, It's really amazing to me to look back on it because it was a funny little snapshot of time, and um, Fabi... Raina, who started the magazine She Shreds. I don't know if you're familiar with that. She was a part of it. It was sort of my friend Jamia Wilson, who I knew from D.C., who's gone on to be the director of the, the executive director of the feminist press and is constantly like interviewing Gloria Steinem. And she uh, wrote this um, really incredible kids' book called Young, Gifted, and Black. And it's just like she's... The, all of these people who are part of this have gone on to do really, really incredible things. Strangely enough you know, I got to do a a TEDx talk about the project, which was very exciting. Um, and looking back on it, I kind of wish that I could do it again, because I think I might've said something a little, I was, I was long winded. I went off on a tangent. I was, it was really, my ego was very wrapped up in what I was talking about. But, um, you know, I, uh, am grateful that I did it right before the 2016 election, the website disappeared. And nobody could figure out where it went. Um, I had people who helped me build the website, try to find it, and the data just disappeared. I was convinced, convinced that it was some kind of sabotage. But I also thought, you know what, um, what a beautiful ephemeral um, statement that we made about one, it lasted one year, um, and it was what it was, and I'm grateful for it. And maybe it'll be time to do a different one at a different time.
0: So it does make me want to ask if you think of yourself in some way without without ego, but you think of yourself as a new revolutionist in your own way, your own format, and maybe what this new iteration for the future might be.
1: That's a tough question because part of me is like, oh, I can't talk about myself in that way, you know. But the other part of me is, yeah, I want to be I want to be revolutionary in what I do, what I say, how I act, how I treat people, in what I contribute, in the love that I give to people in my life and in my community. Um, And and I practice, I practice every day. Um, And it's just like practicing piano or singing or any of those things. And I think, I really think the only difference between great people and everybody else is that great people try. They continue to try, they fail, they get some stuff right but you know what they keep trying and somebody says hey maybe you shouldn't have done that and they listen and they say huh okay i'll take that into consideration and i'm going to keep trying you know i think that's the best we can do so as far as my next iteration i don't I haven't really figured out what that's going to be um, what is there to say that hasn't been said doesn't matter if we just keep talking about the same things over and over again because they never really change. As much as they change, they never really change. And I, I, uh, I don't know if I can fully answer that question.
0: Somewhere on your website, there's an interview. I remember one specific reference, and I can't use the full expression because this is community radio, and I'd have to bleep out one of the words. But it references a tortoise and being a tortoise because uh, with Aesop's Fable, it's the tortoise that that wins a race over time because of, I think, what you were just describing, taking the talent that you have, but working it every day, putting the effort in, uh, making uh, practice and perfection and consistent effort a key part of being in the business of what you do. Maybe... Tell us a little bit more about the business of what you do, but maybe through the lens of a tortoise.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I, you know, I moved to LA a few years ago. So it's really funny because you are surrounded by hares, you know, you're surrounded by glorious, beautiful rabbits that everyone loves and adores. And, you know, and sometimes they're your best friends and it's really hard. You're like, I'm so happy for you. And I am so jealous, but I'm not going to say that out loud, but I'm so happy for you. Um, And so... I think that part of, uh, part of what I practice is trying not to judge myself, which is really hard, you know, and you'll have some thought come up that you don't like, like a jealousy or whatever it could be. um, And just sort of let it come up and then kind of laugh at yourself because you're human and everybody has those thoughts and that's okay. But it's like, what do you want to do with that energy from that emotion is the more important question. Um, So yeah, I did say I'm the mother effing tortoise. (laughs) which is what I said in that interview. Um, and I think every once in a while, I think, you know, maybe it's time I hang up the hat. Maybe I'm done. And I had that thought actually at the end of last year after I put out this recent record. I thought, you know, I'm never going to be Karen O or I'm never going to be um, Joni Mitchell or Nina Simone. You know, I'm not I'm not going to be as big as those names. And, and there's a part of you that's like, well, maybe I just haven't made the record yet. <laughs> But also it's sort of like the fact that I get to make music at all opens so many doors to so many conversations that you have with people um, and so much other work. And what I came face to face with this year, I did this New Year's retreat with some friends, which is that I never just said I wanted to be a singer. Yes, I said that. But I also wanted to... um, be an artist and travel the world and, and do something that had some kind of like a social impact and work for social justice and, um, and, and help other people. So I think that's sort of what the, the tortoise approach is, which is realizing that you're never really there. And so every day is just sort of being present in the now and saying, okay, well, where am I now? Okay, Cool. All right, maybe I'll go in that direction next, you know? And I think, for me at least, it allows me to be a little nicer to myself and a little less depressed, a lot less depressed. I think my tendency is towards depression, being very serious and depressed all the time.
0: Which seems ironic given how joyful you present yourself to the world and certainly how joyful this hour has been.
1: Well, I'm I'm glad. I'm glad that we've all felt. I felt joyful too. I mean, that's the thing. When I sit alone in my room in the dark with my notebook, writing about how I feel, like of course I'm going to feel depressed because I'm lonely, which we all are. But it's nice to come together and be together in our loneliness, to not be alone in our loneliness. That's where joy comes from.
0: So let's let's close with two things, in if I may. Sure. Um, the the last thing would be to request a, a final song. But just before that, I've been, just by the nature of this interaction, I've, I've been asking some questions. And I'd rather stop and just say to you, what do you want to say?
1: <sighs> what do I want to say? I feel like that's the question I'm asking myself my whole life. What do I want to say? It's like, what do you want to leave behind? That's the question I would ask. What do you want to leave behind? And I think it's really important We can't control legacy, ultimately. It's kind of up to the world and other people what happens with our memory and what they want to make of anything we do or say. But I think it's important to have some intentionality there. And so when we come face to face with the person who is the real jerk, who is saying really racist, awful things, (laughs) and we have the option to punch them in the face or maybe do something better to sort of catch yourself in that moment and say, what do I want to leave behind?
0: Is it okay if we close on a song?
1: Yeah, I just have to figure out what song I'm going to sing. Okay. Um, Maybe if I did What We Gain in the Fire, which is the first song from the first record. Beautiful. Which is a weird left field thing. And I may have to start it again because I haven't played it in a long time, but we'll see how that goes.
2: We are ships on an ocean, passing on our way back home. We collide for a minute and we move on away. I got something I don't want to lose. I'm not ready to leave you. We are born far from each other, and we find our way back home And though the road It seems familiar We're just remembering a way to go I got something I don't want I'm just starting to remember you all. Cause what we lose in the fire we gain in the flood, what we lose in the fire we gain in the flood what we lose in the fire we gain In the fire is never gone. We are lost. Without we make our way back home. And though the road it leads together, still we make our way alone. And I got something I don't
0: To listen to this show again, and to hear past shows, download the podcast at iTunes, search for Live's Radio Show with Stuart Chittenden, and leave a review while you're there to let me know what you think of the show. Live's Radio Show is supported by Humanities Nebraska, inspiring and enriching personal and public life by delivering opportunities to engage thoughtfully with history and culture. Learn more at humanitiesnebraska.org. I've been in conversation today with Laura Burren, the singer-songwriter behind The Minor Birds. Laura, thank you for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is so lovely. Thank you.
0: That's the end of this week's show. The magnificent Marion Faye helped produce the show. Lives is an executive production of Squish Talks. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week for more community, conversation, and the people that bring community to life.